As I grew older, I began to learn the importance of limits and, uh, and how they can benefit us in, in our lives. You know, at university, I worked for a church called Catch the Fire, and Catch the Fire has actually ties to the church that started Alpha, Holy Trinity, Brompton, and they have connections there. Literally millions of people have come from all over the world to catch the fire, to encounter more of God, and to experience more of His presence. You know, there, has been, there have been so many testimonies over the past 28 years of, of, of healings, of God doing supernatural things, and you know, pe- people coming into relationship with Jesus, and uh, e- even the prodigals coming home. They had nightly meetings for six days a week for the first 12 years, and my very first job for that church was I was in put in charge of all of that, all of the recordings, and I had access to an archive of conference sessions, church meetings, worship sets, and I loved it. So I would make copies um, for myself every day, and I would listen to all these messages from, from these famous speakers every day. I was just so hungry, and I wanted more. couldn't get enough. At that time, I, I graduated university with a history degree as well, and I started reading more and more biographies of men and women who were used by God over the years. I, I spent a lot of my paycheck every month on books. Uh, my wife, Anne, can tell you how many books I have. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I haven't even gone through a third of them. Most of them are boxed up in the garage because we have to make room for Isaiah. But one day, one day, I'm going to have, I'm going to set up my library, and it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. So listening to all these messages from incredible men and women of God, um, combined with the main message of the church, which, which was to, to the love of the Father um, as a good father, that we are accepted and loved, not for the things that we could do, not for the things that um, we can accomplish, but simply because he is a good father and he loves all his kids. Later, I got to travel with uh, the founding pastors, John and Carol, and I got to meet some of these known speakers, and I watched, I studied, I learned from them on stage, off stage, at dinner, um, just sharing lives of what God, testimonies of what God was doing all around the world. Some would share bottles of hot sauce that would literally knock your socks off, and I loved it. It was so fun. Each of them were, were rooted and grounded in their local church, and they had to balance a heavy travel schedule. What most of them had in common was uh, a deep love for the Word of God, a heart to see more and more people come into relationship with Jesus, a desire for kingdom relationships, and a profound need for rest. You know, some even built rest into their heavy schedules. You know, you don't have to, you know, you can't give out what you don't have, and if you're always running on fumes, it makes you wonder what you're giving out. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, says a core mark of emotionally healthy discipleship 
is a deep theological and practical understanding of limits. Without that, we severely compromise our ability to love God, ourselves, and others over the long haul. Now, over the years, I got to meet a lot of Christians, and many of them were serving in their local church, but many were serving over their normal capacity. They started out with so much passion and zeal, but gradually over time, they overstretched and they over-volunteered. They didn't take into account any form of limits, and they resulted in burnout, a decline in their relationships, broken marriages, and being hurt by churches, and some even angry at God. Now, serving the church and volunteering the church is, is great. It's a good thing. We highly recommend it. But do so, but discern where the Lord directs you and where your limits are. Okay, now let's look at the life of Moses and how he did with limits. So if you could open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to read from verse 5 down to 24. I think it should be behind me soon. Exodus 18, 5 to 24. Then when, Moses, then when Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was camped at the mountain of God, and he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Verse 7, Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their welfare and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had confronted them on the journey and how the Lord had rescued them. And Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who rescued you the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they acted instantly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. And it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people and all and the people stood before Moses from the morning until the evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between someone and his neighbors and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Okay, that's a good point. <laughs> Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said, said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, because the task is too heavy for you. 
You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God. Then admonish them about the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. We're almost done. Verse 21. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that they will bring you every major matter, but they will judge every minor matter themselves, so it be so it will be easier for you, and they will carry the burden with you. If you are to do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will also go to the places in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law, and he did everything that he had said. So Moses' life, um, many of you, many of us have watched the movie with Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt. You know, his life can be broken up into three sets of 40 years. And this chapter comes from the last set of 40 years when he was in between Egypt and the Promised Land. You know, in this chapter, we see the title of father-in-law repeated many times. So the author had placed Jethro in some place of significance in Moses' life. So one day, Moses, one day Jethro comes along. He sees Moses, his son-in-law, and you know, they catch up. They have a meal together. And then the next day, Moses goes back to work, and he's working hard. He's working from morning until night. And then Jethro comes along, and he's like, hey, you know, son, See this thing that you're doing? It's not good. You're gonna, you're gonna burn out. You're gonna wear yourself out. It's 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 too much. You know, you're 80 plus years old by now. Your hair is already white. How long are you gonna keep doing this until you're 105? You know, you have to think about your retirement. You have to think about your RRSP. Maybe one day when you make it to the promised land, you'll find a nice property by the beach. You can set up a nice hut. You can find some lawn chairs, you know, kick off those sandals and put your feet up. Jethro, out of love, out of wisdom and experience, gives Moses some advice. And he says from verse 21, go find leaders one who are able, leaders who have the strength and capability to do this job. Two, leaders who fear God, who show humility and respect and obedience. Three, leaders of truth, ones who conform to God's character. Four, leaders who hate covetousness, so basically leaders who can't be bribed. And five, leaders who are accountable. Let them handle the minor stuff while you take on the major stuff because you can't do everything yourself. Now, he recognizes the truth in embracing limits which will safeguard him from burnout. Now, sometimes in life, as we go along and it gets busy, we have to pause 
and take into account the wisdom from other people, especially people who are um, that we trust, leaders, pastors, and have the courage to follow and listen to their advice. One of my main goals in life, which is something which really burns in me, is to end well. One way that I can do this is to acknowledge my own frailty and embrace limits as I keep my heart open and sensitive to the Lord leading. You know, John Arnott told me that 747 jetliners reach the faster speed, the fastest ground speed, when they're just about to take off. Now, John used to travel 225 days every year, and he was in his 70s. But he still had the most grace, humility, tender and loving heart towards the Lord and to everybody. He's definitely one of my heroes in life. In life, I guess there are a lot of people I look up to in life, but probably I would say four or five who are really my true heroes in life. And he's definitely at the top of that list. You know, my prayer, especially for myself, is that when it's my time to take off and to, to return home to Jesus, you know, I want to be at my fastest speed. I want to end well. I want to love my wife with all my heart and all my devotion. I want to be an amazing dad to Isaiah and future kids. You know, other accomplishments and achievements, you know, they're great. They're great. But they're not more important to me than my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, and in that order. I remember my, my very first Catch the Fire International Conference was working on a cruise ship. So we had a conference on a cruise, which was sweet. And my job was to do all the recordings and to make uh, copies on CD for all the sessions. That trip, I hardly left the cabin because I, I, I worked from morning until night. You know, all the other staff that came along on that trip, they, they had so much fun. They went on adventures on the island. They, had, um, they went snorkeling. They, they hit up the restaurants and the boats, and they had a great time. But I just kept working. You know, that trip, I made over 1,500 CDs. I sold all of them paid my way, paid for some of the other staff, paid for some of the outreaches that we did. I thought that if I could do a really good job, that I would get noticed, I would get accepted, and it worked, I did. But it came at a cost. And by the end of that trip, I was exhausted, I was drained, I was grumpy, and I was empty. You know, a few years later, I got to be John's assistant and conference planner. But clearly, I hadn't learned my lesson of limits. I got to plan and organize conferences. It was, you know, I was so f it was so fun. One conference I planned was in it was was in Glasgow, Scotland. And I worked with the church there. I finalized the artwork, got the word out. Um, all the speakers, the flights, accommodations, uh, food. Ac honorariums were all set, the worship team was locked in, we had all their equipment booked, 
I brought another guy in to do video recording. All the volunteers were ready. Their jobs were assigned. I did all the purchasing and shipping for a well-stocked book table, which I ran by myself. I had a good point of sale system set up. I took on the editing and duplication of MP3 recordings after each session. I, I had a lot on my plate. And the night before I flew out, I got sick. I still had to push through. Even though I was sick, I still pushed on. Because even though I was beyond ready, nothing was going to stop me. I, the whole trip, I only slept a couple hours every night. Um, during the breaks, I, I worked the book table. In the end, the conference was a success. It worked. Everyone was thrilled. Everyone was happy, except for me. I was drained. I was exhausted, I was grumpy, and I was empty. Notice the trend? See, I was so focused on, on doing a good job so that I could get noticed and accepted that I ignored all forms of limits. I didn't have any boundaries. I, I just kept serving and working, kind of like Moses. I was headed towards burnout. And John, in his, with his father heart, he came and he said, you know, he, he came, he gave me a hug, he put his arm around me, and he's like, maybe next time we'll bring more people. And then it, it, it clicked, the penny dropped, and I was like, yeah. I was working so hard, and I ignored all kinds of limits because I wanted to be in control. You know, I thought I was the only person who could do a good a good job. I didn't trust anybody else. I wanted to control the results. It was all an effort to make a good impression and to do a good job, but it left me drained, exhausted, grumpy, and empty. I like to say that I learned after that trip, but it actually took me a couple more times to actually figure it out and to actually make it um, part of my life. But each time, John kept loving me and encouraging me. He kept telling me that I was doing a great job and that he was so proud of me. Now, the Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. And it took the love of a father to, to show this son that he was really loved and accepted. Not by doing things, not by planning successful conferences but just because i was a son he was proud no striving no performance no results oriented goals but simply by being a son now we see in the bible that we see this in in jesus's life and before he did any miracles when he was being baptized by john heavens open the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and God the Father said, This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. Isaiah, you are my Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know, he had a father figure in his life to help him live with limits so that he could set himself up for success.
and for the long haul. You know, many years ago, I started reading all these biographies of um, healing evangelists, especially around the 1900s to 1950s, 60s. You know, evangelists like Smith Wigglesworth and Catherine Coleman, Amy Simple McPherson, um, Evan Roberts from the Welsh Revival, um, Willem J. Seymour from Azusa Street, John G. Lake, uh, Spokane, Washington, the healing rooms there, and A.A. Allen, Willem Branham. Now, all of these folks were used by God in incredible ways, but some of them, towards the end of their life, drifted off and went off course. Uh, a pastor from California got me um, onto contemplative prayer and the writings of Henry Nouwen, Martin Tozer, St. John of the Cross, and I learned the value of silence and stillness with God, which helps us cut out some of the distractions in life and helps us focus in on the Lord. You know, when words become too noisy and when distractions are stripped away, when limits on your busyness are imposed, are you able to love and be loved? You know, life achievements and possessions and even the ones that we have done in church or, or in ministry, you know, they don't really matter so much if we don't have an intimate and healthy relationship with God and the people that we live in community with. You know, in life, when we're faced with limits, you know, it sometimes feels like handcuffs. There's different kinds of lockdowns, capacity limits, We've had to change how we run youth so many times. You have to switch in person and online, on Zoom, back and forth. And we have to even change some of the plans that we, we had been working on for, for many weeks. But it, some of them are meant to keep us safe. We have to be able to discern if, we're there, if they are there to act as safeguards for our own health, physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. And we have to examine our lives to see why we do the things that we do. Are we doing them to bring glory to God or are we doing them just to put a band-aid on a deeper hurt? James loves quotes, so I'm gonna quote Richard Beck from his book on silence and the non-productive self. Quickly and simply, an identity of possession is rooted in earning or performing for our identity, our worth, value, and significance. The eccentric identity, by contrast, is, is an identity given to us as grace and gift. Beck goes on to say, Last semester in my psychology and Christianity class, I was talking with my students about the practice of silence, and I made a connection with the eccentric identity. Many of my students don't get the practice of silence. They feel stupid and awkward just sitting there quietly. What, they ask, am I supposed to be doing? And the answer is nothing. And that's the point. Caught up as we are in pursuing the identity of possession, we believe that we must be doing something, pro producing something of value for, the for our lives and for our very selves to have meaning 
worth and value. Silence, by contrast, challenges that assumption. Silence, I told my students, is learning to hold the self before God in a non-productive posture. Because when I do that, the idolatry of productivity and performance, I'm valuable to God and others because of my talents and achievements is faced and relinquished. And in that newly opened space, I can come to experience my non-productive self as valued and loved by God. You know, today we are so bombarded with um, pressure from all different sources. You know, some of us will watch the Super Bowl later tonight and companies spend literally millions of dollars for a 30 second spot trying to get us to buy something. You know, Instagram and Facebook, they're ad advertising to us even if we don't want them to. How many influencers on social media are trying to get you to buy a product? Do your makeup a certain way. High-waisted jeans are back. Bell bottoms are back in style. You know, even before I got married, there was pressure to get married and have kids before I was 30. Unfortunately, many succumb to this pressure and they ignore limits. You know, they spend way beyond their means to get the latest and greatest phone, which is the iPhone. Now, I just watched this documentary on Netflix the other day. It's called The Tinder Swindler. And there's, it's about this guy, he just swindles his way with, you know, um, he lavishes, he lives, he pretends to live this lavish lifestyle. Exotic cars, private jets. He, he's scamming his way. Some want a boyfriend or a girlfriend so much they settle for partners who don't complement or add to their lives, but instead pull them away from Jesus. Now we have to be, be we have to be able to discern and be sensitive to the Lord leading us, and we have to be able to resist some of these lies. The ability, to, the ability to recognize the need for limits in life help us prioritize what's important and what's not. Also, it helps us take on, not to take on false responsibility and get stressed and waste time on things which we can't change. You know, Moses' life is so interesting to me. You know, he grew up in, in Pharaoh's palace for 40 years, and then he spent the next 40 years in the desert of Midian in preparation for another 40 years. Now, that's a lot of years in the desert. It's boring and it's hot. And early on, Moses had a lot of struggles with confidence, and we see that, especially at the time when he encountered God at the burning bush. You know, he, was, he had a stutter, he could, and he had a speech problem, and he's like, I can't do it. Not good enough. I'm not eloquent enough to be a leader. But God, in his wisdom, said, Moses, he said the only thing that Moses needed to hear, and he said, Moses, I will be with you. And that, friends, is God's promise to all of us that he will be with us. He'll never abandon us. It's repeated so many times in scripture because it's true. 
we need to have the courage to recognize our boundaries and learn to live with limits. And God rewards maturity with more authority. And in life, often, our responses to situations often dictate our outcomes. Living with limits is a part of the journey of being a healthy, emotionally, emotionally healthy follower of Jesus. And it helps us live a life that has less stress and guilt and baggage from sin. You know, all of us want to be free. A couple of weeks ago, James talked about the importance of freedom. You know, facing limits is challenging at times because we, do, we don't like it. It feels like handcuffs. But as we learn to prioritize more and more the things which are most important to us, seek the wisdom of other people, like, like pastors or leaders or, or a Jethro-like figure in our lives, we can better position our, our lives to end well and for long-term success. You know, we can, we want to run the race and we want to finish well. I was just reading this morning, um, there was a Finnish guy in the Olympics, he, he won his, his race, he, he won the gold medal, but he waited until the very last person crossed the finish line, he, and he congratulated every single person. See, the more time we spend in communion with God, be it in prayer and worship, the word, or in silence, you now we'll, we'll discover that we need him more and more, that we can't do it all by ourselves. Or, or make it out of our own strength. You know, he'll even bring to light some of our fears, our shame, past hurts, so that we can get some healing and freedom from them. Because in John, John 10, 10, from the Passion Translation, it says, Jesus came to give us life. Jesus came to give us everything in abundance, more than we expect. Life in its fullness, until we overflow. Amen? Okay, let's all stand and pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for limits in our lives which act as safeguards. Thank you that your promise in, your, in the Bible, you've said that you will never abandon us or forsake us. Nothing in this world can separate us from the love, from your love. Father, help us be more sensitive to your leading and obedient to your heart. Help us recognize the limits in our lives. Are there any limits which we are ignoring? What is at the root of that? Shame, fear, control. Are we striving for acceptance? Are we striving to be seen? Are we striving to, to be known? So if God brings anything to, into, you know, to mind, you know, just put your hand over your heart. You know, close your eyes so nobody can see. No distractions. 
Just put your hand over your heart. And just submit that those things at the foot of the cross and ask God to come. Father, you said perfect love casts out all fear. So, Father, would you come? Would you speak to us? Would you reveal things? Would you minister to us right now, God? Holy Spirit, would you just move across this room? Father, you know what's on our hearts. And we surrender all these things unto you, God. Father, would you bring some healing and freedom? Help us become more like Jesus. Thank you that you love us unconditionally for always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.